Please listen carefully. Hello there, toppers, and welcome to episode 26 of the Turn of Phrases podcast. Thank you so much for choosing to give me some of your time today. We're over halfway through the month of December now, and while I love the Christmas season more than any other holiday, there is one major problem I have with this time of year. It's the cold. I hate it. Of course, I consider everything below 70 degrees Fahrenheit to be freezing, so winter is just not my season. But it is the topic of today, since the first day of winter is just three days away. I thought we could go over some phrases that include wintry or cold things in them. So, bundle up, grab a warm drink, and let's shovel out today's phrases origins, history, and more. The first phrase I want to look at today is the simile, pure as the driven snow. This means that someone or something is extremely pure. But what exactly is so pure about driven snow, and for that matter, what does snow have to do to be driven? It doesn't mean that the snow has a strong desire to do well as it flutters silently down to earth. And no, I'm not sorry for that lame joke. Anyway, this particular definition of driven has to do with what the wind does to snow. Driven snow is snow that has been blown into drifts, and because of the deep nature of these piles made by the wind, they are rarely walked on. Because of this, the lack of footprints and the typically cleaner snow left in these drifts is usually whiter for longer, and therefore more pure. This simile got its start from our boy the bard, Mr. William Shakespeare although not in its modern-day form. He first used it in 1605 in Macbeth, a play all about prophecies and people wanting to be the king of Scotland. In the play, Malcolm, a prince who is next in line for the throne, flees Scotland for a while because of all the murder that people want to do to royal people. When another character, Macduff, tries to convince Malcolm to go to war against Macbeth, Malcolm argues against it, saying, quote, Black Macbeth will seem as pure as snow. End quote. What he means by this is that people thought Macbeth was a better person than Malcolm, a more pure person, and therefore a war against him would fail because more people would support Macbeth than Malcolm. A few years later, in 1611, we find another version of this simile in another play by Shakespeare, The Winter's Tale, a show that is quite appropriately named for using it in today's episode. Basically, the story of this play is a couple of kings are hanging out and one wants to go home and the other wants him to stay. A lot of assumptions happen and a baby ends up going on a journey that no baby should go on. In the play, there is a peddler named Autolysis and he wants people to buy his wares. He sings a song to describe how good his stuff is and in that song he says, quote, Lawn as white as driven snow, end quote. Now, before we move on, I have to mention one more thing. Some people think that this simile has nothing to do with actual snow, but instead that it comes from medieval tanning practices. Apparently, in old-timey times, these tradesmen would cure the raw leather with animal feces, and dogs were the preferred donator. The purification process was shortened to the word pure. Since poop turns white if it sits out long enough and snow is white, the act of using white poop to purify leather became referred to as being pure as the driven snow. Personally, I hope this is not the true origin, because it's a crappy one. 
And with that horrible pun, let's move on to the next phrase of the day, cold shoulder. To give someone the cold shoulder means that you show them indifference or ignore them, sometimes with the intent to hurt them, at least emotionally. The idea behind this is that in old-timey times, if a guest was welcome at a person's house, they would be given a hot meal. If they were not welcome there, they'd be offered some meat from a cold shoulder of mutton. This goes back to at least the early 19th century because it first shows up in print in 1816. Sir Walter Scott wrote in The Antiquary, quote, The Countess's dislike didn't gang further at first than just showing O the cold shoulder. End quote. Then, in 1824, he wrote in St. Ronan's Well, quote, I must tip him the cold shoulder, or he will be pestering me eternally. End quote. From there, it became a popular phrase for writers to use. While it was almost certainly in use before Sir Walter Scott began to use it, he is the one who helped to make it more popular. That's all I could find on this one, so let's look at the next frigid phrase of the day, revenge is a dish best served cold. The meaning of this saying is that getting revenge on someone feels better when you let some time pass by before enacting the revenge. The idea behind it is that if someone has forgotten about the harm they did to you, you will likely get more satisfaction out of the revenge, because they won't see it coming. This saying has been in use since at least the 18th century, because that's when it's thought to have first showed up in print. Pierre Chodolos de Lacos, a French novelist, official, Freemason, and army general, used it in his most famous work, Les Liaisons Dangereuses, written in 1782. In it, he wrote, quote, La vengeance est un play quoi se mange Freud, end quote, which, if I hadn't butchered it, would translate almost directly to revenge is a dish best served cold. Many people think this is also the origin of the phrase, although some people think he never actually wrote that phrase in his book. Like many things from that long ago, it's hard to prove it either way for certain. However, in 1846, it shows up in another translation of a French author's work, Eugene Sue's novel Memoirs of Matilda, which was translated by the Honorable D.G. Osborne. The translated wording is, quote, And then revenge is very good eaten cold, as the vulgar say. End quote. Ever since then, the phrase has risen in popularity, and while it may never be known exactly who said it first, it does not seem to be cooling off as a popular saying anytime soon. Next, we're going to look at a sort of combo of phrases, when hell freezes over and not a snowball's chance in hell. The reason I want to combine the explanation of these two phrases is because the meaning for them is pretty much the same. A snowball's chance in hell is used to say that something is extremely unlikely to be successful, and when hell freezes over is meant to say something will likely never happen. The idea behind both of them is that hell is an extremely hot place, and things that are frozen do not mix well with extremely hot temperatures. While no one seems to know exactly where either phrase got its true beginning, a snowball's chance in hell is thought to have first shown up in print in September 2, 1938 in the Evening Independent News out of St. Petersburg, Florida. In reference to an upcoming election, it said, quote, It convinced him that Mr. Pope, running as an independent, wouldn't have a snowball's chance to beat the machine. End quote. When hell freezes over is at least as old as the Civil War, because a Confederate soldier has been quoted as saying, 
We'll fight them, sir, till hell freezes over, and then, sir, we will fight them on the ice. End quote. This quote was showcased in American novelist Shelby Foote's work, The Civil War, an American Narrative. This three-book history of the Civil War was almost 3,000 pages and over a million words long. The volumes were published as follows, Fort Sumter to Perryville in 1958, Fredericksburg to Meridian in 1963, and Red River to Apotomax in 1974. Since these two phrases mean almost the same thing, they likely share a common starting point, but we may never know exactly when that was. But as far as sticking around in the vernacular, I think they both stand a better chance than a snowball's chance in hell. Now, let's explore the idiom to catch your death from cold. In modern-day usage, to catch your death from the cold means that you have a severe cold, but it originally meant that being in the cold for too long could lead to your actual death. It's not uncommon for people to still use it in the old-fashioned way, though. The change of meaning is thought to have happened sometime in the 17th century, and really, they can be used interchangeably. The reason it changed from meaning death by cold to feeling like you'll die from cold was mainly because people started to realize that just being cold, no matter how miserable it makes you feel, is not going to kill you. Since colds are caused by viruses and being cold cannot give you a virus, it makes sense why this saying morphed from one meaning to another. No one seems to know exactly when this idiom got its start or even when it showed up for the first time in print. But it fit well with our theme for today, so I wanted to briefly touch on it. Now let's move on to today's metaphorical moment. It's just a metaphor, dude. It's a metaphor. Curious metaphor. A metaphor. That's just a metaphor. Today's metaphor is the land of misfit toys. Now, before I get into this one, I realize that this one might sound like it would fit better with next week's episode, which will be Christmas-themed. But I have something special to do for the Christmas metaphorical moment, so I decided to do this one today. With that out of the way, let's get into the history of this metaphor, which is used to say someone doesn't feel like they fit in. For example, if someone was at a Christmas party and they didn't feel as if they knew anyone, they might go stand by a wall. If someone else joined them at the side of the festivities, the first person might greet the second by saying, Welcome to the land of the misfit toys. The actual island of misfit toys is from the 1964 classic Christmas movie, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. In that movie, Rudolph finds an island with all the toys that are not quite right, like a spotted elephant and a plane that doesn't fly. Feeling like an outcast himself, he feels like on the island, he fits in. And just for fun, while the movie came out in 1964, the story of Rudolph was first published as a poem in the form of a book. The department store Montgomery Ward used it as a giveaway item starting in 1939. Except for a few years during World War II, they gave out the book every Christmas until 1946, totaling around 6 million copies. Then, in 1947, the rights were given to Robert Louis May, the man credited with originally penning the poem. Now, there is some dispute about whether he was being given the rights for the first time or being given back the rights, but either way, he definitely wrote it. Once he had the rights, he began selling the book, which sold surprisingly well, even though it had always been available for free before. Later, May had his brother turn the poem into song lyrics, and in December of 1949, Gene Autry released what became the main version of the song at the time. 
Many others have released versions of the popular Christmas song, and in fact, Autry was not actually the first. Another version came out a month earlier than his, sung by Harry Brannon, but Autry's was by far more popular. The overall well-received poem, turned book, turned song, finally turned into a stop-action film in 1964. And from that movie, both the now-classic Burl Ives version of the song and our metaphor of the day were born. That's all I have for this little story, so now let's find out what the book will give us for today's familiar quotation. Okay, toppers, I've opened the book to a section of Albert Pike's works, and I promise you this was a total accident, but it looks like the quote's about seasons. It's from his work, Every Year, Stanza One. The spring has less of brightness every year, and the snow a ghastlier whiteness every year. Nor do summer flowers quicken, nor the autumn fruitage thicken, as they once did, for they sicken every year. I'm not going to lie, I find it a little creepy that on the winter episode, we landed on a quote with winter in it. I guess I'll just call that divine quotation. And that's going to do it for today's familiar quotation. Okay, toppers, that's going to be it for episode 26. Thank you for once again joining me to turn some phrases. As I do for every episode, I hope you enjoyed yourself today and that you learned something along the way. You can check out my show notes to find out all of my social media, contact, and sponsor information. Remember that you can send me topic suggestions, and if you do, just let me know if you want a shout out or if you want to remain anonymous. If you had a good time listening, please consider subscribing to the show or leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast, researched, written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers, try to stay warm. Hey there, toppers. It's ad time, but I'll keep it quick. Check out the support the podcast page on my website, turnofphrases.com, to see what offers I currently have available to you from Amazon, as they change from time to time. On that page, there are also links to get a free Audible trial and a free audiobook download, and to save 10% on a BossBox's gaming subscription. Help the podcast out by letting me help you save money. Thanks in advance, toppers. I really appreciate it.